Well, good morning and welcome to Cornerstone, to our time of worship. Um, I can identify a little bit with Luke, who shared previously that sometimes, while everything sounds good in my head, when I go to speak, it can come out in bits and pieces and fragments, so bear with me here. But um, I've been thinking a lot in my own life, that's what I wanted to share from, is about um, the natural state of us as far as our, our hearts as human beings. And you don't have to look very far around society, even where we're sitting here today, and you see the, the fruition of the natural state of man and of his heart. Um, and that's why scripture talks about in Proverbs about guarding your heart so closely, because out of it are the issues of life. And um, uh, hang on, had another reference there. Uh, Jeremiah 17 talks about the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it and that's a true statement that's you and I and that's our fellow man today in the unredeemed form and I, I uh, came across a story that illustrates this about um, a young a young journalist from Britain his name is Malcolm Muggeridge he spent quite a bit of time in India as a as a young man um, Malcolm Muggeridge lived a very promiscuous life he, he was a latecomer to Christ in his in his later years but in his, in his younger years, um, he kind of did it all. You name it, he did it. And there's a story that uh, Mugridge shares about a time he was, about one of his times there in India, he got up in the morning and went down to the river for a swim. And as he gets in the, the water, he looks across the way and he sees a form of a young woman taking a bath. Obviously, in the form that they would take a bath in that culture naked and the thought popped in his head I'm going to go get her he was going to express his sinful desires so he started swimming across the river and Malcolm shares that he felt so much he wasn't swimming against the current but that he was swimming against his own conscience as he swam towards her so he dives under the water and comes up next to this young woman who reacted in horror and, and uh, tried to be as modest as she could and what he saw was a woman disfigured and marred by the effects of leprosy. He said her nose was half gone. Her fingertips were missing. He said she looked not like a human, but she looked like an animal. And he said his first thought was, what an ugly, horrible human. And then his mind corrected him and said, what a horrible, ugly heart that I have. The... What, I, what, I'm really, what I'm really trying to get to here is, for myself, and I, I feel this, I felt this many times in life, but ultimately each one of us has to deal with the evilness that was, in our, that was within our own heart. It's very easy to point out the evil and the wrong in other people's hearts and lives, but we have to come to the foot of the cross and deal with that with, with, with Jesus. And so there is a remedy and the passage I want to share as way, by way of opening is from Romans 5. If you have your Bibles, please turn there. We're just going to read a couple verses out of, out of this chapter. Romans chapter 5 about the remedy for our nasty, ugly hearts. We're just going to break in here at verse 6 um, of Romans 5. For, for Christ, when we were yet weak in his time, died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet per adventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God increased the price of his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Hallelujah. I want you to think about that. In that verse 7, it says, in, in our natural minds, if there's a really good person, we're willing to, we're willing to go to bat for him. We're willing to maybe even sacrifice our own lives for him. But yet, we, as we know, Scripture also says that there's none righteous. None of us are righteous. And when God looks at our righteousness, what little bit of goodness we can muster out of our own lives, God sees filthiness and dirtiness. No matter what we do, we cannot satisfy the righteousness of God on our own strength. It has to be through the life of Christ. Verse 9, then much more now, justified in his blood, we shall be saved from wrath by him. There is that remedy to our natural evil heart. The heart that has been disfigured by the leprosy of sin. 
that all of us have, that the whole world has. And this, this verse 10, this is one of my favorite verses when I really understood it. And it says, For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now, being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So not only are we reconciled and our natural evil, ugly heart is fixed, but much more than that now, we have, we have salvation, that continual salvation from the life of Christ that takes part in our lives as, as we become sanctified. And God views us as righteous and holy when, when he looks at us. He don't see the sin. He don't see the ugly side of us if Jesus has been taken into our lives. He sees his son. And this morning, I'm just thankful for that. Um, and to me, there's an there's a imperative then as, as believers that there should be some, some eagerness in sharing that with the world around us because we all see it. I think we're going to continue to see it more and more as man's heart continues to degrade and de- degenerate. And yet, as I think about it, there's really nothing new happening here in 2020. Solomon said that. Maybe a little different way about it, but it's the same stuff going on. So this morning, um, we're just thankful for the, the remedy that we have for our own uh, natural hearts to the salvation in Christ and by his blood um, redeeming us and by his life continuing to save us as we live our lives. So um, do we want to do prayer requests? We can? Okay. Yeah, we, we can do a, have some time for prayer requests. Um, I have several in my heart. Um, but, uh, Brother Cephas, I'm going to ask you to pray. Um, so is there any prayer requests or prayer reports that we need to share here before we move forward? I guess I can go first then. Um, two of them, my, today, right now, um, my folks are worshiping for the last time in their little church in Himanee after 10 years of service down there. And they're flying back to the States tomorrow permanently. So just pray for them as they transition home. Um, it's been quite a journey for them, spiritually and emotionally, and for us as their children. But um, we're glad to see how the Lord has worked and what he's done through them. But um, just keep them in your prayers. Um, I might share their email this week with the Cornerstone line if you will think about sending them a note. Uh, I'm sure they would greatly appreciate it. And also... Um, uh, my brother Weston in, in, in Texas, um, they moved down there about nine years ago, him and his wife, didn't know anybody, and a, a family befriended them, Brent, Brent and Laura Lane, I believe is their names. I've never met Brent. Brent's a godly man, loves the Lord, loves his family. Brent's also a, a medical doctor, and um, they took Weston and his wife in as their own, so they're for Christmas and holidays and camping and fishing trips and football games and all that fun stuff. But Friday night, Brent took his boat out on a lake there in the Houston area by himself, and they found his boat and haven't found him yet. So today, they're continuing to search for his body, and my West and Hildy are pretty devastated. It's like their only family they have in that area. So, so pray for, for Weston's and um, for Brent's family. Anyone else? Yes, Bart. We want to remember Bonnie Okay, yes, pray for Sister Bonnie as she begins or, or continues her cancer treatments. Yeah, Phil. Yeah, Brother Jerry, has his blood transfusions are needing to be oftener and oftener. Mm-hmm. He's really struggling yeah. and would appreciate our prayers. I have one more. In the midst of the whole thing we're in today, um, we do not want to forget to pray for God's eye is still on on that land. That's where he's going to return. And we've become a little bit selfish maybe. I don't know about everybody else. I should say me. Let's remember to pray for Israel. Yes. Okay, with that, um, Cephas, let's go to prayer.
thank you for everything that you have done for us and everything you are about to do again for us over and over again. We thank you for the church. We thank you for the leaders. We thank you for our young people, our young men, our young ladies, and our leaders, and all elders and deacons of the church, Lord. As we come in, come in we are pushed before you, Lord, boldly, oh God, in unity and one accord, because we know call for a prayer, we think can move mountains. Lord, here we are, bound before you, Jesus. Oh God, we come and call it upon your name for every situation, everything that we're going through. There is a lot of people, oh God, there are some more people in the church. They are going through something, but they're not speaking. But you can hear them and their heart. You can, oh God, watch and then you can hear what's going on but to lift them up before you, Jesus. We pray for, oh God, Tom's parents, as they have been served in Haiti for 10 years, and now they're coming back to the United States, Lord. We thank you for their service. We thank you for your protection during all this time they have been over there. Oh God, your grace and your mercy covered them, and now they're coming back home. We pray you for trouble and mercy, for safety and protection, in the name of Jesus Christ. We pray you for Weston and his wife and his family. We lift them up before you, Jesus. We pray you for touching and wisdom restoration in the name of Jesus Christ. We pray you for Brother Jerry, Father God. You are the greatest doctor in the world. You know everything. We lift this problem before you, Jesus. You can touch, you can heal without even coming and a, and a person to touch, but you can just speak a word and that, oh God, is blood transmission, transfusion will be all right. Oh, we lift them up before you, Jesus. We pray you for those right now in the church that are sick, but those that are the sickness is unspeakable, but we lift them up before them. Touch, heal, and deliver in the name of Jesus Christ, Lord. We pray you for the peace of Israel. We pray you, oh God, we thank you, Jesus. We pray you for restoration, and we pray you for protection of the pray you do for the United States of America. We thank you for the President of the United States, Lord. Be with him, strengthen him, surround him, oh God. Keep the evilness away from him. Oh God, we know you are faithful, God. When you promise something, it will come to pass. We thank you for what he has done for Israel, and we know that your grace and your mercy will be upon America. You said you will bless those who bless Israel. We will love those who love Israel. We thank you. We thank you over and over again. We're not going to forget about Haiti, Lord. We lift Haiti before you. We pray for the leaders, oh God. Give wisdom and restoration. Oh, we thank you today, Lord. We give you praise. We pray you for the message that is coming forth, oh God. We want to hear from you, Lord. Send a word from heaven. Speak to our heart. Speak to our soul. Like the Bible says, search our heart, oh God. You know what is not right in us. You know what is not good, but we want you to speak to us that we can apply it to our life. We can get closer and live holy and live in perfect life and glorify you. We thank you for all that you have done, and we thank you, oh God. We pray for peace in America. We pray, you, oh God, that you give us strength, give us power every day that we can fight the enemy of our soul, the enemy that comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. We pray to God that America will not be destroyed, Haiti will not be destroyed, and every other places will not be destroyed by the devil, by the enemy. And we will glorify you, we will praise you, we will exalt you for all that you have done. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Let us make the Lord's prayer. Our Father, who is in
What a privilege. What an unbelievable privilege. Yes, part of that is because we are together and the situation we're in right now. But the real privilege is that the Spirit of God has promised to be where two or three are gathered in His name. God is here this morning. Amen? We are in a privileged situation. And to Him we give the honor and the glory. We want to welcome our visitors. We're glad you're here. But most of all, we're thankful that the Lord has promised to be here. And so we cry out to him this morning. i got a question for you before we ever start this morning. Can you think of a prophecy that was fulfilled or is being fulfilled in your lifetime? Now, I know that we hear a lot of really good messages, uh, some of them out of the Old Testament, um, Ezekiel, Daniel, um, Isaiah, get into the New Testament, it'd be the church of Thessalonica and the book of Revelation, and those are all prophecy things that point to the future. And I love to hear those messages, and I think you do too. And I suppose uh, when I was born in 46 and in 1948, Israel became a nation, and for really years after, I heard many, many messages, the fulfilling of Scripture because Israel is now a nation. But I'm going to ask you, Aside from those two things, I'm going to ask you, have you seen or can you think of prophecy that is fulfilled in your lifetime? Now, we already said this morning early on, I don't know if you caught it or not, that our God is alive. He is very much alive. He is involved in us. He's involved in this earth. He's involved in His salvation. He is totally involved. And where he is, I think the spirit of prophecy is there. And when I asked Brother Gary this, he said, I think there's probably a lot of prophecies both fulfilled, and I just plain miss it. I suspect that's where we all are. <coughs> Excuse me. This morning, we're going to look at a prophecy that is being fulfilled today. But we're going to take a little bit to get there. I invite you to turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy 18. We're going to travel a little bit through some scriptures today, and I hope you'll stay with us. And it's going to be a little bit till we get to the heart of this message. And so just be patient with your servant. Deuteronomy 18. And I want to begin reading at the 20th verse, and we'll read three verses. But the prophet which shall presume to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or that shall speak in the name of other gods, even that prophet shall die. And if thou say in thine heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord hath not spoken? In other words, how do we know when this prophet's for real? 22nd verse, And when a prophet speaketh in the name of the Lord... If the thing follow not, nor come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord hath not spoken, but the prophet hath spoken it presumptuously, thou shalt not be afraid of him. I wanted to, um, to begin this morning to, to set a little definition for, for prophesying. And this passage we just read says that if a if a thing does not come to pass, we're looking at a false prophet. We all know that. In 1 Corinthians 14, it says, He that prophesieth speaketh unto men unto edification, exhortation, and comfort. There is a sense when you and I speak the truth of God's word that we are fulfilling the role of a prophet. And that would include not only what I'm doing here today, but it would include all of you who are teachers, all of you who have family worship with your children, all of you who speak a word of truth to your fellow employee, whatever it may be, there is a sense that prophecy is there because it is speaking truth to others. 
I don't think that's what we just read, and I don't think what it's referring to. What this is referring to is someone that says, um, the Lord has spoken to me, and he has given me this message, and I want you to hear it. And then we're supposed to say, uh, is this what happened? Is this really accurate, what came about? In fact, turn to the 13th chapter of Deuteronomy, hold there, and there's a couple things we need to look at. I'm trying to define for us this morning a little bit what a prophet is in the sense that we want to look at today. 13th chapter, first verse. If there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and giveth thee a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder come to pass, whereof he spake unto thee, saying, Let us go after other gods which thou hast not known, and let us serve them. Thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God proveth you to know whether ye love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. There are two things that are established here about a true prophet. One of them is obvious, we just talked about it, and that is that whatever they prophesy, if it is of the Lord, it will be true. Now, here's the problem. If you'll notice in that second verse, and he talks about this prophet that says it, do you know that even a false prophet is going to say something once in a while that's right? When I was a young man, um, I was born in 46, Israel 48, and somewhere around, I'm going to say the early 50s maybe, there was a woman that rose up. Her name was Jeannie Dixon. And she made some outlandish predictions at the time, and they came true. And the whole world flocked to her, the politicians and the power. She's on the front of the magazines and everything. And I remember the pastor where I lived. He said, we need to be careful. This woman does not know Jesus. And it came out later that she was only right about 10 or 20% of the time. And the rest of the time, she, it took a little while for that to, to come out. So I want to, to say, just because someone says X, Y, Z, whatever it is, and it seems to be true, there's something else we have to know, whether or not we're going to follow that prophet. And if you'll notice, this third verse says he's going to prove us whether or not we, we love him and follow him. And so the second thing that has to be is that does it honor the Lord? When a prophet says something, is it honoring to the Lord God Almighty? In other words, is it consistent with the Word of God? We must know those two things before we know. Now, what I'm going to do today, and I'm taking a little bit of a, I've been, been meditating on this, and I pray the Holy Spirit is in it, and I want you to be thinking, and I want you to be praying, and I want you to be listening with, your word, with the Word of God open. So, what I would really like to see and feel and observe in my lifetime is something that was written many, many years ago, and it happens exactly like that today, and I can say, aha, there it is. There's the truth that honors God. Nearly 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul wrote, he wrote a lot of books, but I'm thinking about Romans this morning. And he wrote to Romans, and we're going to look at that and see what he says. And if he is a true prophet, and he was under the influence of the Holy Spirit, then the things he wrote will be true right now today. And that's what we're going to look for. Because, this is very important, because if we read the Word of God, and any portion of it is not true, it's not God's Word. And if we read it and it is true, that means God's Word is true and all of it we'd better listen to. It's really that simple. So, uh, there's one other thing I want to mention before I pass on this idea of what a prophet is. Uh, I would encourage all of you who have any capacity at all for teaching or for testifying or mission work or anything else to read the first 19 verses of Ezekiel 33. Write them down. I'm asking you to do that. Read the first 19 verses of Ezekiel 33, and it deals with the watchman on the wall. That is not a prophet, 
But it is a person, and I think this is where most of us fall more than prophecy. We look at the Word of God, we learn from Him by His Spirit, and then we testify and we warn and we bless, and that is being the watchman on the wall. And every one of us who are followers of Him, I believe, are called to be watchmen. We may not all be prophets, but we are all called to be watchmen. So read those 19 verses in your spare time. Let's go to Romans, the first chapter. That's really where I want to go today. We will move around a little bit, but we will stay here for the most part. Romans 1. And we'll pick up the message in the 18th verse. And we're not, this is still background that I want to present before we move on. Romans 1.18 says, For the, re- the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. I, um, th- this really struck me the other day and as I was reading. The wrath of God is, present terms, Well, I think about the wrath of God in the book of Revelation. But when we look at the book of Revelation, it says, I'm going to tell you, John, about things that shall shortly come to pass. They're out in the future. But when I read Romans 1, it says the wrath of God is. It's present tense. And in fact, that is consistent with the rest of Scripture. Psalm 711 said God is angry with the wicked every day. Do you know that the wrath of God is already on sin? Um, There is a difference, and we need to establish that. Today, the Holy Spirit is still here. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for that Holy Spirit. I need it in my life all the time, every day. Communities need it, families need it, people need it. Everybody needs the Holy Spirit. But when the Holy Spirit is removed, he that now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. When the Holy Spirit is removed, then we have what we call the apocalypse. And sin is just absolutely, it's going to be awesome and terrible and powerful. And that's what the book of Revelation is really about. This is not the apocalypse. This wrath we're reading about, the wrath of God that is right now. And this is an amazing thing. We're going to look at this wrath of God and what it means. Stay with us. And then it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness I wonder if there's somebody this morning maybe a young person maybe an older one you literally hold the word you've been taught the word it has it's it's all your life you've been absorbed in the word of God you've sung the hymns you've learned to pray Uh, you have learned to cry out to God when you was in need and and you've read maybe you study every day I hope you do They hold the word, and yet they live in unrighteousness. I want to tell you something. I think that every man, in one sense or another, holds the word of God. And some of them, maybe majority, hold the word in unrighteousness today. And we're going to look at that. Our prayer this morning is that everyone who is here and everyone who hears the Word of God, wherever they worship, they will never turn from it and turn it into unrighteousness. Because the wrath of God is poured out on that person. So the truth is available to them. It's even in their possession. And they reject it. Do we see that in our world today? We see it everywhere, don't we? 
All you got to do is listen to a news clip. Listen to the songs that are being sung. Look at the books that are being read or written. Look at them. They don't hold God in righteousness. They don't admire His holiness or lift Him up. They reject Him. Even if they put a Christian name on it. That's where we are. Well, he goes on, and I want to look at the next few verses and see how God describes these people that he's angry with. 19 verse. Because that which be, may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. Inside of every man there is an intellect, there is a conscience, there are gifts, and they are all from God, and they are designed to reveal God to us. Inside of every one of us, that's the reason. When we come to the point of conversion, and we know that Jesus is calling, and we sit there and we waffle, and we go back and forth, and everything else, where there's an inner fight going on. Because God has planted it in a man to decide whether or not he will serve the Lord God or something else. So here we are, he's revealing himself inwardly to everyone. Number two, verse 20. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so that they are out without excuse. On the outside of the man, if he looks around, and he sees creation. He holds that newborn baby. I asked Chris this morning if he remembered what he said when he caught that big pike in Canada. And if I remember correctly, he said, it's beautiful. The believer sees things in life and they are all around him and they are outside of him. And he can stand in the ugliest of places and see the glory of God. And so everyone has access to that. They testify that God is. We know that. So internally, externally, these people have a testimony of the power and presence of God. And yet they hold the truth in unrighteousness and God says, I'm angry with them. I'm angry with them. Let's go on to verse 21, 22, and 23. Boy, these verses are tough verses. And you tell me if they don't fit today. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorrupt uncorruptible God into an image made like a corruptible man and birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Verse 22, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Has anyone ever heard the phrase in recent days that science trumps the Bible? If we just knew science, we'd stop all this religious jargon. No. They became fools in their wisdom. And do you know what it really means? The Bible confirms true science. I read these passages and it makes me as a pastor consider the testimony that goes out from this pulpit, not just from me, but from all who are faithful. And it puts a little fear in my heart that someone has heard this truth, they know this truth, they've been raised with this truth, they know it, and they are even more responsible than people that have not. And yet they hold the truth in unrighteousness. And you know what it says? The wrath of God is on them. Now. You say, what do you mean now? Well, broken homes, broken marriages, abused people, crooked business deals. What do you want to list? Rotten, deceitful politicians? The list goes on and on and on. When we hold the truth in unrighteousness, 
the wrath of God is on us, and things will not go well. They never have for 6,000 years, and they aren't going to in the future either. So, I started out telling you, asking you, if you had ever seen prophecy fulfilled in your lifetime. Let's look at prophecy. I'm going to suggest to you that is being fulfilled in our lifetime. It was written nearly 2,000 years ago by the Apostle Paul under the influence of the Holy Spirit, and we are seeing it, and it is just as plain and simple and black and white as anything I've ever seen in my life. Verse 24. And there are three things that are here that God prophesied would happen. Verse 24. Wherefore God also gave them up. This is number one. There's going to be three. This is the first gave them up. Look at that statement. God also gave them up. I'll tell you what. They tell us this is a legal term and there's all kinds of things you can study about this phrase. But if God gives up on me, I'm done. I am in trouble. I need him to stay with me when I'm rotten. I need to stay him with me when I mess it up. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts. Now remember... Before I even get to this verse, I should have made this statement. Because we're talking about prophecy being fulfilled. They hold the truth in unrighteousness. And you know what happened somewhere in the 60s? They said we will not allow the Bible in any of our schools. None of our higher education. And I want to tell you something. There is a consequence, and we're seeing the consequence of it. And that is step number one that we really haven't talked about. So this is what we're reading here in this 24th verse. I'll read these two verses. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own heart to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Number one. Came in the 1980s and it was called the sexual revolution. And it came after the Bible was removed from our education system. And that sexual revolution, I was a young man, and um, one of the most attractive, cheerleader, really neat young gal at school. Everybody liked her. She was beautiful. We graduated, and she went up to Haight-Ashbury. And I never saw her after that. They said, you don't want to see her. The sexual revolution was in full swing. And this is exactly what he said will happen. We remove the word of God out of our lives and the sexual revolution will begin. Have you ever noticed that someone who is deeply involved in this will always justify themselves thinking they are wise and talking about science and on and on and on. This is the first step. It's not the worst one. Not even close. Number two. Verse 26. Oh, I want to back up that 25th verse a little bit. And it says, And worshiped and served the creature more than the creator. I always read that, and <clears throat> I thought it was referring to setting up idols and, and animals and worshiping them. And it probably does. But if you look at the sexual revolution, it is and idolizing of the human form above the creator that made it. And I wonder if this creature isn't literally humans. I don't know. It's just a thought. Okay, let's move on to verse 26. This is the second step phase. And remember, we're talking about prophecy being fulfilled that we can see. And the first one is... The sexual revolution. Verse 26. For this cause gave them up, God gave them up into vile. There it is again. God gave them up. Number two. 
unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. I am told that by far the majority of the cultures, when they start to fail, the women tend to stabilize things and hold it back. But he's talking about a time when the women will actually lead total homosexual activity. And likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meat. So God gave them up, first to the sexual revolution, and then to all kinds of deviant behavior. Have we seen it? Are we seeing it? Did Paul write this knowing about us? Or did the Holy Spirit write it through him, which I believe you did, and he saw exactly what was going to happen? Here we are. Are we seeing prophecy fulfilled in our face? Not pleasant. This is not a fun message. I hate it. And then the 28th verse. <laughs> I still haven't given you the worst of it. I haven't. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over. That's the third one. The first two were God gave them up. God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Maybe your Bible says a debased mind third thing that God gave them over to is a reprobate mind and there's a lot of definitions you can find about that and we're going to look at a few things but I'm, a, I'm just going to summarize it in my own language insanity does not make sense how many of us have said the things that are happening right now I, don't, I can't figure it out it doesn't even make sense it can't be I'll just give you one. Either a boy or a girl will decide to be the opposite. It's called transgender. And now, that's not even enough. It's fluid gender. I'll decide this morning what I'm going to be today, either a man or a woman. That's insanity. You don't even have to be a believer. And God says, this is what happens when the wrath of God is poured on someone who absolutely rejects Him. I'll tell you what, we are living in a world that is not as nice as we like to think about it. This is scary stuff. I, I guess I better say it here lest I forget. I know there are some Christian people that go through it and they understand the things I'm talking about this morning and they get angry. They get angry with people uh, that are fulfilling all these things. I want to caution you to be careful with that one. People need to be loved. In fact, the only avenue we have, and I'm going to show you in a little bit, that this is what all of us would be, except for the grace of God. This is exactly what our brother said in the opening this morning. Well, let's look at um, let's go to John eight forty four. I I want to I want to look at several verses here, and I want to end up talking about um, confusion. John eight forty four, and this is our Lord speaking, and He said, "Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father he will do. He was a murderer. Can we say abortion?" He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own for he is a liar and the father of it. Is that a reprobate mind? It says that the mind of the devil now has control because God has turned them over. I don't want to do with this. This is not very pretty. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 14. First Corinthians 14, 33. For God, 
is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. Are things confusing today? Is it hard to sort things out and know exactly how to think and look at things? I don't even know how to look at the coronavirus and everything. I, I, I don't know. It's a mess. There was a book written, I'm going to say, 30, 40 years ago, or at least the experiences were. Um, it was very, very popular at one time. And it was called The Road Less Traveled by uh, M. Scott Peck, who was a, he was a medical doctor. Um, he was into psychiatry and so forth. And he, he tells a story, and it's been quite a while, but he, he told a story in that book. Is every now and then he would get somebody, somebody in his office, and he would, they would have a problem, they'd have a health problem, and he would prescribe and try to find solutions, and it would go pretty good. And pretty soon they'd come back in it, and their symptoms had moved. And so he would prescribe, try to find solutions, and pretty soon they'd come back in, and their symptoms had moved. And he said he finally drew the conclusion, it wasn't very many patients, fortunately, at that time, but he finally drew the conclusion that these people were demonically possessed and that confusion comes from the devil. I don't think we need to ask where the confusion is coming from, brother and sister. It is not coming from the Spirit of God. He is peace and joy. He is focus. He is love. We know who we are. We know where we're going. We can trust Him as we already heard. Don't be surprised if the confusion just rolls and gets worse. It will. There's um, one of the other things, and I, I probably don't have it word for word, but I found this secular definition of evil. I, I know what you and I would talk about evil. It's anything that is not of the Lord. It's anything that is not of holiness. It's not of goodness. But... Um, this is, a, this is a, a man that came up with a secular definition of evil. I just, want you to, I just want you to hear it. I think it's interesting. It means to hold visions of reality in our head that is different from actual reality and to use our own personal views on others. I want to read that again. To hold visions of reality in our head that is different from actual reality and to use our own personal view on others. Is that not confusion? Is that not evil? From a secular viewpoint. I'm telling you, there's something about a reprobate... <coughs> And I know the sexual stuff we talked about is bad. I understand that. You understand that. But a reprobate mind? <coughs> Let's look at uh, 2 Corinthians, 4th chapter. 4th verse. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians 4.4 4. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Is that not a reprobate mind? Do you know what we're seeing today? I told you that I believe we're seeing prophecy fulfilled. Take away the word of God. The sexual revolution follows. The total perversion of the human body and life is then perverted. And finally the mind goes because God removes it. We are seeing it. I'm telling you, we are living in the middle, right in the middle of prophecy being fulfilled. Well, so what's this all about? Just make you feel bad? Discourage you? Oh man, 
We heard truth this morning, but I'm so down, I don't, I can't even get up. Rotten stuff. Turn with me to John 13. We've got three passages we want to look at this morning. St. John 13, and we will read verses 18 and 19. And this is when he was with his disciples. But I think there's a beautiful lesson that is here. This is um, the upper room. And Jesus speaking, St. John 13, 18, I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He, hath eat, he that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. He's talking about Judas betraying him. Now, 19th verse, notice this. Now, I tell you before it come, that when it come to pass, ye may believe that I am he. Why did the Lord give us Romans 1, 18 through 32? Why? You know why? So when it comes to pass, we will believe. Do we believe this morning? Is the word of God reliable? Is prophecy fulfilled in our lifetime? Let's go to 1 Chronicles. This is my desire for you, 1 Chronicles 12. First Chronicles 12, 32. And the children of Issachar, which were men that had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. I just want to stop there. Brother and sister, kind friend this morning, my prayer is that we will be so into the Word of God, so filled with His Spirit, that we would understand the times where we are and we would know what we should do. This is a promise from God. I don't know about being a prophet, but I know I need to know what the right thing is to do sometimes. I just told a brother this morning on the phone, I don't know, we've got to pray about it and figure out what the right thing is to do. There is nothing more valuable than to have someone in your immediate circle, in your family, in your church, in your business that is on their knees, that understands the Word of God, that says, I will find out what the Lord says, and that's what we will do. Hallelujah. Amen? Well, there's one more thing I want to talk about in closing. Maybe I made somebody really feel, uh, I don't like those verses you read, Phil. That's me. That's, you don't know what I've done. I'm a lot worse than I look today. I'm pretty rotten at the core. I've made all those mistakes. And I heard what you said, the wrath of God is on them. What do I do now? Well, let's go to 1 Corinthians 6. Last verse this morning. First Corinthians 6, 11. Well, let's just back up a little bit. Let's start in the ninth verse. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. There we are again, same thing. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor idolaters, nor effeminate, nor abusers themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says, what a blessed verse. Look at this verse. And, uh, and such were some of you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Do you know what I am without the grace of God? I just read it. This is what I am without Jesus. 
And when Jesus comes, we have a, such a massive change in our outlook and our understanding. It's called a new birth. We become a new person. And he says, as such were some of you, but ye were sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Hallelujah. If you're down this morning, I want to tell you something. Jesus has a way. He is the way. And it don't make a difference what you've done. It's what you do with Jesus. And when he becomes Lord of your life, things change. So there's a couple things in closing. I, 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 I know, I know that probably everyone here have someone that the wrath of God is on them and you love them you do you should don't give up the devil would like to discourage you he'd like to take you down the where you stop praying when you get blue you can't see the end it never works out right and he will ram it all down your throat until you're sick of it and he is a liar. Because Jesus said, as such were some of you, and that means somebody made a change and had a new birth, and that someone might be your loved one. Hallelujah. Go for it. So are we seeing prophecy fulfilled in our lifetime? I think we're seeing it right now. And if we really saw it, as God fulfilling his plan, his prophecy in our lives and in our day and in our place. Even when all of the stuff that's going around, and you know what it is, it's ugly. He would say, Lord, your word is true. I'm stronger than ever. Because I can see that what you said is being fulfilled in my face. Blessings.